0: unique yet common sense opinions on sports this is jeff allen sports talk
1: and we welcome you once again to the podcast it is our pleasure to welcome aboard eric lopez once again among the many hats he wears is one of being the preeminent experts on college softball with the in the circle podcast and fast pitch news eric how are you
0: I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing okay, Jeff. Uh, glad to be back on your show. I'm a little misty because uh, we're at the uh, the end of the softball season, but uh, that means we're also closer to the football season, and of course, basketball season's ending. But still, lots to get to to talk about. But great to be back on your
1: show. I appreciate you being here. And uh, before we get to the championship uh, round between Oklahoma and UCLA. You know, what is behind the surge in softball's popularity? It seems to be growing every year. I find myself watching it more as well. What do you think are the main ingredients for this growth?
0: Well, I think it's a game that's very fast and exciting. I think it's up tempo. It's about a two hour game, two and a half hour game. There's a lot of action going on. I think it's the opposite of what's going on in baseball, where the baseball has kind of slowed down a little bit, and people are wondering how to speed up baseball, and then softball's kind of been the opposite. I think there's a lot of personality in softball, and I think people have found themselves kind of, uh, you know, intrigued by it. And there's no question that the ratings are up this year. They they have, are on pace to have a record-breaking attend, uh, TV ratings this year. Uh, in fact, during their postseason, they're going to have up to eight games over a million viewers. To put that in perspective, uh, women's basketball, their entire tournament, only had six.
1: Hmm. Um,
0: and so... It's a game that's growing. More people are playing. Um, I've always made this comparison, Jeff. I've always felt that in women's sports, women's softball fans are kind of like college football fans for men's sports. Very passionate, very loyal, sometimes even a little delusional, (laughs) but very passionate. And and I think you're seeing that, and I think it's starting to grow. And I think a lot of people are starting to find this game exciting. And I think more uh, girls are playing the game, and I think it's got a lot of positives going for them that – that people that maybe are tired of watching a three and a half four hour baseball game is like you know what I'll check the softball game for two hours. So I think they're getting casual people that uh, enjoy the tempo of the game.
1: And you brought up something that kind of intrigues me too is like the enthusiasm because it's it's so great when you see all all, all the players in the dugout they're 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 constantly chirping they're 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 doing choreographed cheers all sorts of neat stuff like that.
0: It really is, and and again, it shows off their personality, and that's something that I know a lot of people have criticized Major League Baseball about as an example again, but yeah, I mean, there's personality. We had a player at Oklahoma State, Samantha Schau, who had a backflip, and everybody was like, wow, you know, it's like a big deal, but nobody threw at her, you know, (laughs) Um, and then she was, you know, there was just a lot of different personalities, a lot of different cheers, um, a lot of enthusiasm. And I think people get caught up in that. You, uh, I really do. And I think that the, the game has got better athletes now than there was, say, 10, 20 years ago. There is more offense. But at the same time, you got great athletes like Rachel Garcia for UCLA, who's a two-way player who can hit and can pitch is probably going to be on the U.S. Olympic team in 2020 and is the best player in the country. She's a two-time player of the year. And I think I think people can relate to that. Everybody can relate to being a pitcher and a hitter. And, and I think the thing that's uh, enjoyable, there's no real, quote, specialization. There's not the lefty, lefty pitcher out of the bullpen like you do in baseball. So uh, – it's exciting. It's been exciting growth. And, and obviously ESPN has provided it the platform with great TV coverage and the but the primetime. But the reason they're doing that is because the audience has demanded that because people are tuning in. And as a result, you see softball in primetime a lot during the postseason.
1: And you mentioned something, too, about being more offense and uh, quite a bit of a power surge in the College World Series this year.
0: Yeah, the home run ball. I mean, that's the thing, the long ball. I mean, Oklahoma and UCLA, I mean, they got power. Arizona. I mean, I, there's more offense than there was. Back like right about, I'd say 10, 15 years ago, there was you know, maybe a Two one nothing game. 2-1 to was the common score. And that's not the case anymore around the sport of softball. I mean, you've got more and more power into the game. Uh, you saw in game one where UCLA scored pounded out 16 runs and just crushed Oklahoma at the number one ERA in the staff in the country. Uh, Oklahoma this year, I think it's hit like 120 home runs as a team. So, um, uh, it's no longer, you know, there. That used to be softball was a small ball game. You bunted, you manufactured runs. You still see that. There's still room for the small ball game, but there's definitely more power in the game than there was, say, ten years ago.
1: All right. So, uh, did I read correctly that you actually called Oklahoma, UCLA to be in the championship at the beginning of the season? <laughs>
0: I did. That was my preseason pick. Uh, That's not like that earth-shattering of a selection. I mean, Oklahoma had won three of the last four national titles. UCLA, I think it has the best roster in the sport. Uh, They were literally about four outs away from playing for the national championship last year and fell short to Florida State. Uh, But yeah, I, I, I thought they were, as the year was going on, I thought they were clearly the two best teams. They're one-two in the country in ERA. They're one in th- third with Oklahoma number one and UCLA number three in offense and batting average. So. Um, yeah, I thought they were the two best teams, and what's fascinating is this is the first 1-2 matchup they've had in the Women's College World Series since two, uh, 2005, when they've enhanced the uh, the format, uh, so it tells you there's been a lot of parry in the game, whereas in women's basketball, you could pretty much predict who's going to be in the Final Four every year, that has not been the case in softball, despite Oklahoma's six excellence, we haven't had the chalky National Championship Series matchup until this year.
1: And as you mentioned, Oklahoma had a had a had a barrage of runs in, in the in Game One, and it's not often in a championship environment uh, that that a blowout is expected. Um, how much did that surprise you? Shocking!
0: I mean, it's the most shocking score I've ever seen at the Women's College World Series. Nobody was expecting that. You don't see that happen. It reminded me a lot. Uh, Jeff of the national championship this year in football, where Clemson just destroyed Alabama, and you're just shocked. Not that Alabama was losing, but how they were losing and getting pounded. And that's kind of the equa- the, 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 the equivalent that I would say what transpired on Game One, where the UCLA. nobody I wasn't surprised that UCLA beat Oklahoma, but I was surprised how they crushed them, sixteen to three, where they just. Beat them down mentally and emotionally there. Uh, that was an impressive performance by UCLA and kind of stunning to see that for Oklahoma. Oklahoma hadn't given up uh, double-digit runs in four years. So, uh, I mean, that, that was a stunner to say the least. It shocked everybody, I think, in the softball world.
1: Yeah, and we're recording just prior to the start of Game 2. And by the time this podcast is heard, most most will, the result will mostly be in. So, how do you see Game 2 working out?
0: Well, I think UCLA is going to win the national championship. I expect Oklahoma to play with pride and passion. They're they're too good of a program, too good of a team to lay down. So I think they're going to give UCLA all they can handle. But regardless of what happens, I think UCLA is going to win the national title. That was my pick before the year. They have the best player in the country and Rachel Garcia, who's the two-time now Player of the Year. Uh, that's a name to keep in mind because I think a year from now, it wouldn't surprise me if she's in the Summer Olympics with the United States. And I think they have the best team from top to bottom. They were so close last year. I think they wrap up the national championship and bring back the national title to the Pac-12, which hasn't happened since 2011. And that's a big deal because it used to be that the Pac-12 dominated this sport. And it was a foregone conclusion that a Pac-12 team would win the national title every year. That has not been the case Uh, as Oklahoma and SEC teams have now won the national title. There's more parity than there was, say, 10, 20 years ago. So this has been a big story underlying in the sport about the Pac-12 drought, if you will. And here you are with UCLA perhaps trying to bring the national title back to the Pac-12 and bring it back to UCLA. They're an 11-time national champion. They are the flagship program in college softball. And uh, so from that standpoint, it's a big story. They can uh, wrap this up and bring the title back to the West Coast.
1: All right. We will find out if that is correct tomorrow morning. And, of course, one of the other hats that Eric wears is that of covering the (laughs) Orlando Magic for uh, 24-7 News. So this gives us a chance to uh, switch over to the NBA Finals. Series tied at a game apiece heading to California. What were your thoughts on the first two games?
0: I mean, I think it's been very compelling. Uh, I love the atmosphere in Toronto. Um, and It's fascinating to see how the Warriors, you know, how they're surviving with these injuries. With Kevin Durant out and then Clay Thompson gets hurt in Game 2 of the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know, They lose Looney now for the rest of the series in Game 2. And yet, they find a way to win Game 2. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. What Now they're going back to Golden State for Game 3 and 4. Can the Warriors maintain this, or does the, do the Raptors kind of tear it up a next gear? Because I think the Warriors can be had. I, I'm skeptical when Durant will play. I do think he'll play at some point in this series, but they're not clearly at 100%. I thought the Raptors are probably going to regret not closing that game too better. They kind of had that bad drought at the start of the third quarter where they couldn't score. Outside of that, they could have been up two games to none. That could be the game that haunts Toronto if they don't win this series.
1: You know, and I, I've always maintained that Golden State has been built to withstand injury because they have so many guys that they can plug and play in and, and pick up different roles and things like that, but uh, d- d- does there come a point where they run out of bodies? <laughs> I think that's what we're all wondering. Um,
0: you know, we'll see how Clay Thompson looks for Game uh, 3. I expect him to play, but will how healthy will he be? I is not 100% healthy. Uh, even Steph Curry was a little under the weather in Game 2, so... You know, you wonder, you know, this team, the Warriors have been to five straight NBA finals. And you wonder at some point, does a team start to break down? I saw that with the Lakers in 89 when the Lakers were going for a 3 peak. And then during that finals against the Pistons, Magic Johnson uh, injured his hamstring. It was knocked out for the rest of the series. And, and then I think Byron Scott got hurt in that series. And then they got swept by the Pistons. So historically, that's happened to great teams. The Celtics in 87, Kevin McHale broke his leg, basically, was playing on one leg. And the Celtics were too beat up to go repeat and lost to the Lakers. Will that happen this year with the Warriors? That remains to be seen. But I think that's something to keep in mind is I think some of these injuries are not a coincidence because this team, for the most part, has been through five straight finals. Even if you include Durant, Durant, this would be three straight finals. So I do think that adds extra mileage. I've talked to players about this. It's like an extra season added to your resume. Uh I think that's kind of catching up with the Warriors. Will it catch up with them enough to prevent them from winning the title? I'm not sure yet.
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, when you mentioned the eighties, you know, they were playing those games sometimes back to back or just with one off day and they get a little bit, a little bit of a break with the finals being separated by three, sometimes four days. Yeah.
0: I mean, television is definitely a spread it out. Uh, I know some people don't like it. Uh, it is a little weird to get a rhythm going for the finals. Um, but you're right. They have that luxury that they have a couple of days to recover, and I think the league has done that to try to preserve health and not be a, health not be a factor when it comes to the finals results. I wish they would do that for the first round of the playoffs, where they just kind of played it right away every other day, mm-hmm. and then in the back end of the playoffs, they would spread it out. You know, I thought the conference finals, the injuries played a role a little bit, especially with Kawhi Leonard in the situation there. And I thought that kind of hurt the quality at times. But you're right. uh, They have them more spread out. And I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, uh, the Warriors respond at home. And remember, this will be their final games at Oracle because they're going to move to their new building next year in San Francisco. And that's been a great home court for them during this run. I'm going to be curious to see how the Raptors handle that adversity of that environment on the road. I think that's the biggest question I have. Can Toronto find a way to steal a game on the road at Golden State?
1: Well, we got to see Toronto firsthand when they played the Magic in the first round (laughs) of the playoffs, and we see how great a player Kawhi Leonard is. And he's playing hurt, and, you know, you got to think he's got a sore back the way he carries his team, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When they won game one, he got help from Pascal Siakam, who I've been impressed with. I saw him in person against the Magic in the playoffs, and he was fantastic. He's the most improved player in the league, and at times he's their second best player. But you can't count on him to be consistent as a scoring wise. So you're right. Who is going to be the second guy or even a third guy that steps up for Toronto, especially on the road, to help Kawhi? Is it Kyle Lowry? He's been very erratic in the playoffs. Is it Pascal Siakam? Is it a Marcus Gasol? Is it somebody from the bench? That's what the Raptors need. They didn't really have that in game two. They had that in game one with Siakam. They didn't have that in game two. I think that's a great point. Who steps up to be that second or third guy? You know what you're going to get from Kawhi. Uh, you're going to get his points, but I, I think you need a second or third guy to be there to step up, especially on the road.
1: And how do you see the rest of the series playing out? Do you think it's Golden State once again?
0: Yeah, I'm going to stick with him until I'm proven otherwise. I like to stick with the champs until proven otherwise. I think they win this at six. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think, again, I just need to see Toronto. Who's going to be the guy? Is it Pascal Siakam that steps up and be that second guy? I still think, despite the injuries, with Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, even if Durant doesn't come back or is not 100%, I still think that's enough to get by the Raptors, uh, especially with home court. But if I'm Golden State... I do not want this to go to a Game 7 in Toronto, not with that environment, uh, in a Game 7 with the whole country behind that team. Uh, So I think if you're Golden State, it's urgent that you try to close this out uh, and win this at 6, because Game 6 would be at Oracle.
1: So where do you stand on the Drake antics?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not bothered by it as others are. I mean, it, it is, uh, transcends basketball. So people outside of basketball talk about it and they kind of need that. I mean, the ratings are not going to be super high this year, obviously, because you have a team in Toronto. So the ratings for Toronto do not count towards Nielsen. Uh, so keep that in mind when you see the headlines about, Oh, the NBA finals are down in ratings. Yes, it is down. But part of it is because one of the teams in the finals, uh, city wise n- numbers don't count because it's a different country. Um, He's annoying. He's definitely a bandwagon guy, uh, and so I'm. Sh- I wouldn't be shocked if the Warriors won that he ended up going to the Golden State parade. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, that's just the way it is. But I'll give him this. He's always been loyal to Toronto because he's been going to games there for a few years. So I'll give him that. But uh, you know, as long as it, I don't think. I think everybody's kind of having fun with it. I don't think it's too serious on the smack talk stuff. So. Uh, that, and I think from the league standpoint, I think they figure, hey, if that helps us bring some extra eyeballs that normally doesn't watch our product, then so be it.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you who I think is a great story is uh, Nick Nurse. I mean, this is a guy that was like coaching over in England you know, not that long ago. And he worked his way back in, got his assistant, and then he took over. And and here he is in the NBA Finals. So That's a terrific story.
0: It really is. The Raptors have been a great story. I mean, think about back, they were the ones that took a chance to trade Kawhi Leonard in a rental. I mean, still, I think a lot of people still expect him to leave after this year and go to the Clippers. Even if he does, the trade paid off. They got him over the hump. It got him in the finals. Maybe it wins him the title. And then they fired Dwayne Casey and brought in Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse was on the staff, and he's done a heck of a job. I think he's let them lose. He has a good offensive mind. I thought he made some great adjustments. Think back to the conference final when they were down 2 nothing to Milwaukee, and he decides, I'm going to put Kawhi Leonard on, uh, on the Greek freak, and we're going to help him by basically putting guys in the paint, and we're going to dare Giannis to shoot from the outside or pass the ball, and that's kind of what turned that series around, and uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. I think he isolated Siakam a lot in that Magic Series. I think Nick Nurse knows what he's doing. I think he's an up-and-coming coach. He's paid his dues. You mentioned he's coached in England. He's coached in the D League. Uh, great personality. I think he's been uh, a fresh air for Toronto and has helped them get to the finals.
1: All right. Eric Lopez, we certainly appreciate you bringing your insight on both the College Softball World Series and the NBA Finals. Always a pleasure to have you on.
0: Jeff, anytime you need me, I'm here for you, man. I appreciate you being on your show uh, once again.
1: And be sure to follow Eric on Twitter at Eric Lopez E L O. He is one of the hardest working guys in show business, and he brought up those great '80s playoffs. So yeah, I had to dig the CBS NBA theme back out again. Can you hear Dick Stockton and Tommy Heinsohn? <laughs> Indeed, those are great memories too. Well, we're let's not forget the Stanley Cup. That is going on as well. St. Louis getting their first ever home win in Stanley Cup history. Uh, they, of course, uh, were in the Stanley Cup their first three years in the league and almost 50 years <laughs> it took them to get back there. And they finally get there. That series uh, now even at two games apiece after that uh, game for four to two victory. As always, we remind you to uh, follow us on Twitter at Allen underscore 88 and subscribe to the podcast. We love to have you listen every time and you can uh, go to com and pick the podcast environment of your flavor or the, the podcast flavor, whichever, you know what I mean, <laughs> the podcast format that you like to listen to, whether it be Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn. Uh, we're pretty much on all of them, so uh, do check that out at talk.com And check me out again in midweek. Uh, I'll be doing another edition of the AAC Report on the Nightline Sports Network, so we will catch up with you on that podcast as well. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen88,
0: on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs.
1: L-V-E dot net.